last week we talked about rest. Jesus was saying, take my yoke upon you. And we talked about the yoke and how, well, how we use oxen. They get into that yoke. They bow their head and they get in and how the yoke is specially fashioned for them. And we were talking about the purpose that God has for our life that is specially fashioned for us. And so we started talking about this idea of resting in God. And so I'm excited about a new program that's going to start here at Living Spring called Sabbath Living. And, uh, and this is going to tie very nicely into where we're going uh, in the book of Matthew. Uh, if you want to, you can turn to Matthew chapter, 11, uh, chapter 12 now we're in. And also turn to Romans chapter 14 because we're going to be going back um, between those two. But uh, I figured since it was rest, since it's kind of Sabbath living, we needed to create a mood. Okay? So I have this going. Oh, isn't that nice? Just take a deep breath. Oh, we need a nice Sabbath. There we are. <laughs> so we've created this program for you, and I'd like you to listen. In Sabbath living, you're not to carry a burden that weighs more than a dried fig. Or if you carry something that weighs half a dried fig, you can carry it twice. If you put half an olive in your mouth and it tastes rotten and you spit it out, you can't put the other half in because your mouth doesn't know that that wasn't a full olive and that might be carrying a burden. If you throw an object up in the air, you can catch it with the same hand but not the other hand. That would be carrying a burden. If on Saturday night at 11.59 you reach out for some food, but the Sabbath for us is Sunday, and all of a sudden it turns to be 12 o'clock, and you're pulling it back, you have to drop the food because that would be carrying a burden on the Sabbath. If you're a tailor, you can't carry a needle because you might be tempted to sew something. If you're a scribe, a lot of scribes out here. Let me see a raise. Okay. You can't carry a pen because you might write something. Nothing can be... Did that just go to a minor key right there? That's <laughs> right. Uh, it, <laughs> that's kind of freaked me out. Uh, wool cannot be dyed. Nothing could be bought. Nothing can be bought and sold. Nothing can be washed. A letter cannot be sent. A fire cannot be lit. Cold water can be poured on warm water, but warm water cannot be poured on cold water. This is all so that we can relax. An egg cannot be boiled. You can't take a bath because if water spills on the floor, it would wash the floor, and that would be a burden. If there's a lit candle, you can't blow it out. Chairs cannot be moved. If you're a woman, you can't look in a mirror because you might see a gray hair and pluck it out and that would be a burden. <laughs> you can't travel more than 3,000 feet from your house unless the day before you put some food out there and then when you get there, that would be kind of like your house and you could travel 3,000 more feet. You can lift things up and put them down in a public place from a private place or lift things up from a private place and put it down in a public place. You can lift things up from a wide place and put it in a legally free place. We don't know exactly what those places are. You can carry enough ink for two letters. Not letters to people, but actual letters. A and B. You can carry enough wax to fill a tiny hole. And you can have a wad in your ear if you have an earache. But if you have false teeth, you have to take them out because that would be carrying a burden. So those of you with dentures, get them on out of there. 
doesn't that sound so restful? As a matter of fact, I think I'm going to just ponder that. To relax with God. Oh. All right. Let's get that done. What I gave you uh, was part of some of the laws that were written by the rabbis for the Sabbath. These are not from the Bible, okay? These are, there's two sections about the Sabbath in the Talmud. One of them has 24 chapters listing all the Sabbath laws. A rabbi uh, one time spent two and a half years trying to understand one of those chapters. That doesn't sound very restful, does it? But it kind of gives you an idea of where the Pharisees are when they meet up with Jesus. How crazy they are about the Sabbath. So if you turn in your Bibles to the book of Matthew chapter 12, we're going to meet up with Jesus as these rabbis, these Pharisees, confront him on this issue. Matthew chapter 12, verse 1. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and began to pick some heads of grain and eat them. You can imagine from this list that that is probably a no-no. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. Don't you, I've always hated tattletales, mostly because they were tattling on me. But, uh, but I mean, can you see? Look, look. There, here, here's, here's what was going on. Okay, so back in Jesus' day, there were some roads, but a lot of times there was just grain fields with paths in them. And the Lord, in the Old Testament, provided a way for travelers, as they're traveling through these grain fields, to pick off heads of wheat. And you, you rub them in your hand, and you blow away the chaff, and now you've got some wheat that you can eat. And this is what was happening. There's, this is, as a, the, the scriptures allow for this. So Jesus is walking along, and you can kind of see the path right there, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, <laughs> comes a Pharisee who is hiding out. No, this is not biblical at all. That's probably not, and there was probably two of them. I don't know if there's enough. There we go. Okay. So... These Pharisees, they're not hiding out there. They're following Jesus around. Now imagine if your spiritual life gets to the point where you're following people around. Like imagine what it would be like to have a spiritual life, a life with Christ, where all you can think about is other people. And what are they doing? And how is that affecting? I said, they're not living the way I would live. It's very dangerous. So what happens is Jesus tells them, starts to tell them a story. Didn't you, don't you read the Bible is essentially what Jesus says after this. He says where David went in and he took some of the consecrated bread. This was called the bread of presence. Uh, typically, there would be 12 big loaves of bread that represented the 12 tribes of Israel. And they'd stay in the temple all week long or in the synagogue all week long. And then the priests would eat that and they'd bake new bread. And no one else was supposed to eat it, but David ate it. The Lord didn't, Lord let him go. Because he was with his companions and they needed food. So this is where we are. And there's probably one more Pharisee there. There he is. Okay. Sorry. All right. So he tells them about David. He tells them about, you know, and your own priests break the Sabbath because they work on the Sabbath. This is ridiculous. 
And then he says this, I tell you that one greater than the temple is here. That is an inflammatory statement to the Pharisees. If you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent. He's talking about his own disciples. You wouldn't have gone after them. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. We just sang, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. And it says, Lord Sabbath is His name. Okay? He is the God of rest. And it goes on. Going on from that place, he went into their synagogue. And a man with a shriveled hand was there. And looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, they asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Now check this out. They know he can heal. Isn't that a trip? I mean, imagine you have a neighbor and he's got a shriveled hand, okay? Just like this guy. And he's out there doing his yard work. It's tough for him. He's mowing the lawn or whatever. And you know someone, you could bring him to someone who could heal him. You, you, you got it. You have the gift of healing or something. You could go up and you choose not to because your religion is getting in the way of kingdom work. And the only way you're going to actually bring this guy to Jesus is to prove a point. This is where the Pharisees are in their mind. Can you imagine having that kind of spirituality where you just want to see kingdom work done to prove a point? That is scary. I'm so glad that never happens today. I'm so glad that's just the Pharisees. You want to see the kingdom advance so that you can, because you have a certain agenda. That would be horrible. Bad Pharisees. Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath, they ask him. They want to find a way to accuse him. So he goes on. He said to them, If any of you has a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you not take hold of it and lift it out? This was one of the provisions in the 24 chapters that if you had a sheep, you could actually get the sheep out of a pit. But you know what else was one of them? If a man is starving to death, you're not to feed him unless he's going to actually die that day. So if he can make it to the next day after the Sabbath, then you can feed him all you want. But unless he's going to die that day... You don't feed him. If somebody was dying and they needed medical attention, you could only give them enough medical attention to, you can't make them any better. You just can stop them from dying. Wacky stuff. So Jesus uses one of their own kind of provisions and he says, wouldn't you take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable is a man than a sheep? Therefore, here's his whole point. It is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. And he said to the man, stretch out your hand. So he stretched it out and it was completely restored, just as sound as the other. Isn't that great? You ever have a broken uh, leg or hand or something and you take the cast off and there's that time where it's like, oh, I I broke both my legs and uh, not at the same time. Uh, I owed a debt to some guy. and No, I'm kidding. Uh, uh, Anyway... I'm totally off. Uh, But when I got the cast off, it was like, yay, my cast is off, but it doesn't move. That's not with Jesus. When Jesus heals, it's just as sound as the other. It's as though the guy had been working with it his whole life. Awesome stuff. When the Lord restores you, it's awesome restoration. And it can happen very quickly. 
So what are the Pharisees' response? Praise God, he's healed. Joe, we've known him forever. We brought him to Jesus and he's healed. No, the Pharisees went out and plotted how they might kill Jesus. Kingdom work had just been done in their presence. A powerful move of the Holy Spirit. And they go home and they figure out, how can we stop this from ever happening again? I am so glad that we are not like those Pharisees, that we would ever quench a move of the Spirit because of our own agenda. Mm. What do we get out of this? Well, what I want to do, I want to go back to the Scripture and look through it and use a parallel Scripture because we can all sit here and go, well, I don't have a problem with the Sabbath. You know, yeah, that, yeah, go ahead, keep the Sabbath. I don't have a problem with all those laws that the Pharisees had. It doesn't really apply to me. But what we're going to do is we're going to look in Romans where the same problem was happening on both ends of the spectrum. Some people were digging the Sabbath. Other people uh, didn't want to have anything to do with it. Said that was Old Testament stuff. And so I think this is where it's going to really begin to apply with us. The first thing I want us to see is that you are responsible for your relationship with God. These Pharisees... It was all about, it all became about Jesus. And what is Jesus going to do? And how are you messing up my system? What I want us to get, very first point, I'm going to include myself because you never, you never arrive. You are responsible for your relationship with God. You. You, 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 me. Okay? Everybody in the sound of my voice is responsible for their relationship with God. It is not based on how well I preach, on the book you read, on the thing. You are responsible. And so what happens with these Pharisees, they begin to lose the fact that it's a relationship and they refuse to see they've lost it. They're not where they should be. They lost the big picture. He says, if you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent. If you just understood, I want you to understand this relationship with God is about mercy. God's merciful to you. You are merciful to others. And in that process of loving God and loving people, we grow. The election is over now. Ah, oh, I'm wore out. I am wore out. A, a year and a half or sometimes two, it depends, all depends on wh- where, where you're going. All the lawn signs are getting back into the garage now and the bumper stickers, some people are scraping them off, not wanting to show that they lost or whatever the deal is. Who, who cares, right? And so all, all through the election, a year and a half or whatever, all, everybody was talking about what does it mean? What does it mean? What does it mean for the economy? What does it mean for this? What does it mean for morality? Blah, 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 bling, right? Here I am. For a year and a half, I've been watching this. Am I any different a year now than I was when that election first started? Me, personally, my relationship with Jesus. I'm going to take that span of time. Am I any, have I grown any closer to the Lord? I might have talked about politics. I might have talked about what this means for our future. I am responsible for my relationship with God. You are responsible for your relationship with God. You have to look back 
over a year and a half of this election and go, am I any different? Does it make any difference who's in power for me personally and how the kingdom is manifested in my life? Now, what happens here? I want to show you they were having the same debate of pointing fingers at each other uh, in Romans. And Paul was saying, look, one man's faith allows him to eat everything. Another man whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. I use that verse, by the way. If anyone, if a vegetarian ever comes after you about eating a hamburger, you can quote it out of the New American Standard Bible. It's Romans 4, 14.2. You say, uh, he who is weak eats vegetables only. Right? <laughs> See that? Okay, you're taking it completely out of context, but that's Okay. That's okay. To be able to point a finger, it's totally worth it. And, and then you just take your hammer and go, mm, you know, all right? No, okay? This is the argument they were having. It was just over trivial, trivial stuff. You can't eat that, you can't eat that. And some people were real passionate about where they were. And here's what we're going to see, guys. We come down on the Pharisees because of their legalism. They were, they were too legalistic. And they, they miss the kingdom. I think today in the church, we miss the kingdom because of our liberty, not our legalism. We celebrate our liberty. We lack discretion in our liberty. And the kingdom of God suffers because of it. And we say, well, I'm saved by grace. I can do that. I can do this. I can do that. You don't understand. Blah, blah, blah. And, and, and we, we, we celebrate that liberty to the extent that it costs the kingdom of God. So they were having this argument. Here's what happens. Paul says this, The man who eats everything must not look down on him who does not. And the man who does not eat everything must not condemn the man who does. For God has accepted him. Now listen to this. (laughs) Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To his own master he stands or falls. Do you know you have a master? God in heaven? He's your master. He's my master. (laughs) That is not a term we feel that comfortable in the United States because of our uh, immoral history in that area. But we have a master. We, We have been bought with a price. We've been purchased by his blood, it says. And so now we are his own. He owns us. And so we have to begin to look at the impact we're having on the kingdom because we're owned by our master. And so when I look at you and I say, you know what, Halloween's a good example, you know? Because some churches celebrate Halloween, some call it harvest, and they're kind of passionate on it. I'm not going to celebrate the devil's holiday and, and all this kind of stuff. And then we laugh, ha-ha, you know, you're so closed-minded. It's, it's that, that type of thing is, what, is what's going on here. We are responsible for our own relationship with God. We have to constantly be going to our master and saying, what would you have me to do? The Pharisees missed this. This wasn't the first time the Pharisees went after Jesus. They had talked to him already. We'd read about this. They were at a party with Jesus and said, why do you sit with tax collectors and sinners? They were watching the disciples. And uh, John the Baptist's disciples were going, how come you, don't, you guys don't fast? Uh, the Pharisees were saying, how come your, your, your disciples don't wash their hands before they eat? Not talking about cleanliness, but talking about this ceremonial washing. They're following Jesus all around. And they're missing the fact that they could have a deep, even under the law, they could have had a deep, profound kingdom relationship with God 
See, the law was not designed so that you lived by these standards and became a Pharisee and then God says, see, there you go. There were people under the law who loved the David loved the Lord his God with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength. He was under the law. So we laugh at the Pharisees and we go, those legalistic fools, they don't understand. And yet, I feel like sometimes I sit, wallow in my liberty and go the opposite way. I know a guy who uh, lives at home. Uh, he's 35 years old. I'm going to describe this guy and you tell me what image comes to mind. He's 35 years old. When he was in high school, he decided to go to community college. And so his parents said, well, why don't you stay at home while you go to community college? Okay. Parents always have a back-end date that you're going to set as kind of a, you know, as kind of. So he goes to community college. He's in community college. He gets a job at Starbucks, starts making more money than he's ever made in his life, like 300 bucks a week. And, uh, you know, he decides that his parents are still cooking for him, cleaning for him. As long as you're working and as long as you're going to school, we're going to... Then he drops out. He becomes 25. He gets married. His wife moves in with him uh, into his bedroom that he had since he was a little tiny kid. And they did some remodeling and brought it up to adult things, you know, uh, and, and, and so she was living there, and the whole idea was to save for a house. It was important, you know, okay, I'm not judging the guy. I'm going to save for a house. Well, this goes on for five, six, seven years. She, she divorces him because she didn't like living in the room. I don't know what her problem was, but anyway, so she <laughs> divorces him, and then, of course, oh, the poor guy, the poor guy, he's, he's distraught. His parents take care of him. Hey, you, you poor guy, you're going through a deep time in 35. 32, 33, 34, 35. Well, now, I mean, you've pretty much, you're, you're, you're staying. I mean, but at what point do you bow out gracefully, right? Think about that guy. That kinda, that's kind of creepy to me. And yet, some areas of my life, year after year after year after year after year after year, I've never taken responsibility and gone out of the house. And in churches all over America, there are chairs and pews filled with 35-year-old Christians who've never stepped out of the house and taken responsibility for their relationship with God. They keep saving and amassing and saving and saving and saving because one day I'm going to actually step out and do some kingdom work. And it just goes on and on and on. Look at us right here. Okay, look around. Everybody look around. It's uncomfortable. It's okay. You can make a face at somebody. I don't care. It's not. Okay. If we look like this in two years, my heart's going to be broken. If, if we are all sitting here listening to me come up with a sermon week after week, if I go into the Word and my life is not changed two years from now, if I'm not a better pastor, if I'm not a better teacher of the Word, if I'm not more passionate about my, the lost and my relationship with God and His kingdom, th that's a heartbreaker. That's a 35-year-old guy that's just sitting, having his mom take care of him his whole life. We have got to be self-feeders. We have to be self-motivated. Because we are ultimately responsible for our relationship with God, period. Now you can come to a church and say, I don't get fed, or, and find another church, great. 
Do something so that when you hear the word of God, it transforms your heart and you move forward with that. In the next year or so, if, if the vision that God has given me for this church comes to pass, I, but I believe that he's given me uh, for our church and the com- our surrounding community, I'm going to be asking a lot of everybody in this room. A lot. It's going to be uncomfortable. It might mean staying here for two services. Oh, no, no, no. It might be working with kids you've never worked with before or it makes you uncomfortable or changing a diaper. And you go, I mean, the first time I changed a diaper, oh my gosh, I, bear, I, um, I, I, I almost lost it, right? <laughs> it was disgusting. It is disgusting. And then after you do it for a while, a, a second time, and then I was done for sure, but I actually made it to a second time. You get kind of used to it, right? Who, who knows what God is going to call us to, to do? Did you know that some of you, some of you might be leading a small group and you say, eh, you go, oh, well, not me. Yes, you. Some of you might be working with high schoolers and you're like, I don't, they frighten me. They frighten me. Okay. I got two of them at home. All right. They scare me. I don't know what to expect. No, I'm kidding. Right. Some of you might be might be in the word more than you ever thought possible. Some of you might have these uh, burdens lifted that have followed you forever. Some of you might have uh, some things in your past that God miraculously just wipes out so that you can be used for service to finally break those, those boundaries. Listen, imagine your life different a year from now. Imagine if you're excited, the Lord's using you in ways. Listen, when the Holy Spirit uses you, guys, and and I know, just looking around, there's many of you I know that God is using, and and believe me, I'm not coming down on the church that nobody, most of you guys are workers in the harvest field. I'm just saying it's going to get even better. God, when God, when the Spirit of God is flowing through you and you are saying things that you didn't think you could say and you're doing things you didn't think you could do, it's life. It is life. It's it. It's why we were here, to advance the kingdom of God. Ah, oh, nuts. Okay. Uh, number two. There's only three, so we'll go, we'll go quickly. Jesus must be Lord of all that we do. Look what he says. I tell you there's one greater than the temple here. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. He says these two statements, two inflammatory statements. Now, I don't know, I couldn't figure out a way to say this in a way that would just make you irate without having you throw stuff at me. I, I couldn't figure out kind of how to say it. But, but essentially, Jesus is more important than your Bible. You're like, wait, is this a trick? <laughs> See, if I read my Bible, if I, if I memorize my Bible... But Jesus isn't the Lord of my life. It's useless. Right? If, if my relationship with Jesus isn't working, if, I constantly, if I'm not constantly going to him and saying, oh, Lord, what would you have me to do in this situation right now? You know, my, you know, my prayer for, for you guys is that every day, every day you would hear from God. It could be from the word, from, somebody, from a speaker. You, know, you, 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 you turn on the radio and listen to a professional teach the word, right? Chuck Swindoll or something like that, right? Is it Chuck Swindoll? Yeah. 
Yeah, or Jack Hayford is my, one of my favorites, right? So, so you, you, anything where you go, man, oh, that was the Holy Spirit. That was the Lord speaking just to me. We're going to do in, the next, in a few weeks, we're going to do an exercise that I think is going to be helpful for us where I just show you how I study the word. So that for those of you who don't, who just feel like, oh, I don't know, it's so simple. It's not, it's not a big deal. And so we just get, so that we get into the habit of every morning or every night or some, getting into the word and going, oh, the Lord just spoke to me there. I'm stopping. We write it down. What did the Lord say? But the, unless we have that mindset that it's about Jesus and, and the, the grace that he's given us and the love and why we serve, we're going to miss out. It's just going to become religion to us. We're just going to come here Sunday after Sunday and we won't be transformed by his life. He's the Lord of the Sabbath. Now, in Romans chapter 14, it says this. This is kind of the way Paul writes it out. He who regards one day as special does so to the Lord. He who eats meat eats to the Lord, for he gives thanks to God. He who abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself alone and none of us dies to himself alone. If we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. It has to be about our relationship with Jesus. It has to be that he is the Lord of our lives. He tells you to drop something, you drop it. He tells you to pick it up, you pick it up. You say, well, man, I don't hear the Lord that way. I don't, you know, I, I've never been like in my house and heard, drop the remote control now. <laughs> I have, but it's usually, drop the remote control now. Yes, honey, you know, it's a whole different thing. Usually when the Lord is chastising me, it comes in the voice of my wife. All right, no, I'm kidding. All right. All right. Yeah. Can I get a witness? Okay. Uh, Right? I I haven't either. Because I stand up here a lot and say, yeah, you know, I hear the Lord. The Lord was telling me this. The Lord was telling me that. And you're like, wow, man, I wish I could hear the Lord. You can. But we need to begin to make him Lord of our life. When Samuel was called... Uh, 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 Eli was the priest at the time. And uh, Samuel heard the voice of the Lord for the first time and he went to Eli and said, yes, master, what is it? And Eli said, I didn't call you. And then so Samuel went back to sleep, heard the Lord again, went to Eli again. uh, I was just sharing the story with my son, my young son, trying to tell him about what what was going on. A lot of us need to get in tune with what the Lord is saying to us. Sometimes we hear him and we go, no, 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 nope, 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 not going there, not going there. And we get deaf to the, to, to the Lord. We have to, I forgot my first point. What was my first point? Oh, yes, we're responsible for our own, golly. You know what? Next time we're listening to a tape of Chuck Swindoll. He knows what he's doing. Huh? <laughs> Yes, responsible for our own. And then, and then we must make him Lord. That's the first step in being responsible. We make him Lord of our lives. Let me show you a practical way of how this works. He says, Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. Well, we say, well, we don't really have a Sabbath now. I mean, we have Sunday morning. Theirs was Saturday. And, and there was this cease from work, essentially. Right? So I started thinking about how does that really apply to me? Well, you know what it is? It's God's the Lord of my rest. 
He's the Lord of my me time, my relaxing time. Like it has to get to that level. Like, Lord, do you want me on the internet right now? Not even if, I'm not talking about looking at bad stuff. I'm just saying, do you even want me on the internet right now? Do you really want me wasting my time doing this, relaxing this way? Do you really want me watching football? Do you really want me going shopping? Do you really want, do you really want, we have to make him the Lord even of our rest. Now, now again, God, I, I don't think the Lord's going to go, no, I don't want you watching football. But at some point, the Lord might say, I'm glad you asked. Because what I want you to do right now is I want you to pick up the phone and call so-and-so. See what I'm saying? Did the Lord ever do that? Just bring people to your mind? Well, sometimes we're, we get too busy and we push those things out. That's kingdom work you're about to do. You're about to pick up the phone and have the Holy Spirit use you to encourage someone. That's phenomenal. I can't relax that well. You see what I'm saying? He's got, we've got to make him Lord even to how we spend the, our time, me time. I just need time for me. Does the Lord really want us doing that? He has to be Lord of the Sabbath, Lord of our rest. Look what it says here in Colossians 2.16. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival or a new moon celebration or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of what... Uh, of of things that were to come. In reality, however, the reality, however, is found in Christ. All this other stuff is nothing compared to a deep, rich relationship with Jesus where we're going to him all the time. Now, in this section of scripture, it was these days, you know, these days were a, a stumbling block, either a new moon festival. You know, you can imagine if we had a new moon festival, there'd be half of Christians going, that's of that's demon worship. Another half going, I don't know, God created the moon as a new moon. Let's go have a party, you know, celebrate what God did. Right. One time I, I, I opened the I opened the door for Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons and everybody. And I talked to them. I don't do a very good job of convincing anybody, but I think it's fun. And, and I do it. And then I get on a list uh, and then I, they don't come by. And I think the list is like, this dude is annoying. It, it's not like he'll question your faith and you'll have doubts. It's, not, it's just like, we don't like this guy. But one time, the Jehovah's Witness, two really, two really nice guys came to my door. They were Jehovah's Witness, and it was Christmas time, and they were upset uh, that they were trying to make a case for how we shouldn't celebrate Christmas because we don't celebrate it on the right day. And my... My, Lisa's parents, we had a period where they would celebrate my birthday six months after my actual birthday because my birthday is really close to Christmas and they wanted it to be a special time, right? They're just really cool. And, and my sister-in-law, we share the same birthday. So they'd celebrate my birthday six months later. So these guys came to the door and we were talking and he said, you know, he said, here's the problem. We don't celebrate. Ima-, they said, imagine if your loved ones didn't celebrate your birthday on your birthday. Right? Now you tell me there's not a God in heaven, right? So I said, that's amazing. That's a, co- that's a special coincidence. They don't celebrate my birthday on my birthday. Wait, what? What are the chances? I mean, a poor guy. He wakes up in the morning. He's like going to go out witnessing for Jehovah. And, you know, he's got all his arguments. And he meets the only guy on the planet that, whose birthday isn't celebrated on his birthday. And so he goes, what are you talking about? I said, well, my in-laws, as wacky as they are, 
set aside a day that's just special for me because they love me. And that's what we do on Christmas. We set, we set aside a day, we don't know what his birthday was, where we focus in on who Jesus is and that he came and he saved us from our sins and he was God. And he, you know, they, they didn't come to Christ. They weren't like, oh my gosh, you, oh great marvel of doctrine and apologetics. They like left like, man, his parents are weird, man. All right? But this was the kind of thing. And, and it's an example of how how all of a sudden something that we take so sacred and, and God says, there's a, there's a bigger thing. There's a bigger thing. That brings me to number three here. The kingdom is the key, guys. The kingdom is the key. You're like, what is this kingdom of which you speak? Okay, I'm joking because we've been talking about it for many months now. The kingdom of God is the key. I've talked about this before. Every single one of us is responsible for a part of the kingdom. You're responsible for your relationship with God, but then in, in, in conjunction with that, you have been given breath. You've been given life. You've been given gifts of the Holy Spirit, which are manifestations of his presence, to build, to advance God's kingdom. It's not a personal... You don't... Have a personal, just a personal relationship with Jesus. There's no such thing. It's not private. You will be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. You, you will. Whether you're good or bad is a d- different story. Whether I do what God wants me to do, but it's about his kingdom. He says this. If any of you has sheep and falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you not take hold of it and lift it out? You idiot. How much more valuable is a man than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath, to advance the kingdom of God on the Sabbath. It's okay to set aside a quiet time or whatever, to go visit with somebody. It's, it's all about the kingdom of God and advancing the kingdom of God in our lives. And we do that by taking responsibility for our relationship with God and for making Him Lord of our lives, of every, even the Sabbath, even our rest time. Even the time when we're in the car driving to work, that time is God's time. I can either listen to the radio or maybe he says, yeah, listen to the radio or I can listen to something else or I can just have it silent or I can remove my briefcase off the, off the passenger seat and just pretend Jesus is there and talk to him about my day. The Pharisees were in a rut and I never want to be in a rut where my, my religion just looks the same every single week. He says, do good on the Sabbath. Look what it says here in Romans. We're still in Romans chapter 14. Therefore, let us make every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual edification. Edification is a word I think that is only used in the church. I don't think I've ever heard somebody use the word edification in a... I've never been in a business meeting where someone said, you know... Employee morale is down. We need to edify them. That would be bizarre. It's just a word Christians use. Has anyone heard the word edify in like a meeting or anything? Like that? Really? That's incredible. I never had. Okay, good. Well, there goes that point. <laughs> no, no, I'm kidding. But what it means is, so he says, therefore, let us make every effort. We read that every, it's the word for persecution. We hound any time there's a chance for peace or mutual edification, for building each other up, for advancing the kingdom. We, per, we pursue it. We chase it. 
So whatever it is in our own life that's holding us back, we get rid of it and we pursue that kingdom work. So it means we, man, we really wanted to watch the game today, but we got to go to the hospital. Oh, I really wanted to do that. But I'm going to pursue this kingdom work instead. I'm super tired, but my neighbor's walking his dog in the park. I'm going to just walk out and strike up a conversation with him. We persecute it. We pursue it. Make every effort for peace and mutual edification. Do not, what? Destroy the work of God for the sake of food. Now, what does this mean? All food is clean, but it is wrong for a man to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. In this case, it's food. But think of it in our own lives. Do not destroy the work of God by shopping. Do not destroy the work of God by drinking that, by eating that. It's, it's a constant thing of not what is right and what is wrong, but is there any way I'm going to damage the kingdom of God? It takes a lot of hard... Doesn't it take a lot of hard work to build the kingdom? I mean, you think about it in your own life, you know? The, 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 the Christian life is... Eat, the burden's light on the one hand, but it's also a task to do. And by one action, we can destroy the work of God. We can destroy the kingdom. So we need to begin to look into our lives. We're responsible for this relationship with God. We need to make him Lord. And we need to say, Lord, how is your kingdom going to come in my life? And is there anything? Sometimes we get free in our speech. And we use words that, yeah, maybe it's fine with our friends or whatever, but it, it's, it destroys the work of God. Sometimes I get angry. My drive to work destroys the work of God, right? Sometimes I get impatient, and my impatience, because I want my own way, destroys the work of God in my kids' lives at home because I overreacted. You see that? It takes a long time to raise these kids up, and it can be destroyed in one slip of the tongue of not being careful about what we're saying. That's why the, the Word of God says to put a guard over your mouth, a literal guard, a guy with a two guards with a stick that crossed over. Who goes there? Uh, an impatient word. No. We're not opening the gate of your lips. <laughs> I'm sorry for that. It's all about the kingdom. Let me give you an example. I went to this... Uh, Shoot, run out of time. I went to this conference this week called the National Outreach Convention. And uh, I, I, my heart for this church is that we would have such a big impact on our community that if we were to ever leave, they'd be sad that we were gone. That's kind of the vision I see for Living Spring Christian Fellowship, that, that the Spirit of God would flow through us as we respond, which is the third part of our mission statement. That if, we, if something happened and we had to move, there would be a sense of, oh, man, because there's, there's, we were having an impact on the community. So they have this national outreach convention. It's all different ways you can reach out to your community and do all these kinds of things. And so I was going to these different seminars and stuff, just super excited about what God might have for Living Spring, what he might open my eyes to. And so every time I got into one of these seminars, the Lord started dealing with me on something in my own life. And I'm like, I'm really not here for that. I'm here to move the church forward. So let's set that aside so I can listen to what the guy's saying so that we can move the church forward. So we get to one seminar and the Lord's like, you know, 
you really need to work on this part. Oh, okay, all right, got it. You get to the next seminar. Whew. All right, I'll, I'll work on that, Jesus. Now, if I could just work. And he just kept hounding me. Then here's another thing, and here's another thing. And by the end of the time, I was broken. Now, I was broken. Now, they're all, you know, you guys are looking at me like, wow, time to look for a new pastor. <laughs> No, they were incredibly spiritual things. He wanted me to read the Bible six hours a day instead of five. No, I'm kidding around. But like one of the things he, he, he was getting me on was the fact that even though I talk a lot about the kingdom of God with you guys, in my heart sometimes, I'm afraid to fail. Like, like I, 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 I want the kingdom to advance, but then when my flesh kicks in, it's like, man, don't screw this up, dude. I'm, I'm, I'm competitive. And so the Lord was dealing with me on this thing. It's like, you want to reach the lost? You're going to have to work that area out. And so they had a time where you could come forward. And I, was, I came forward and I was just weeping before the Lord. It was just a sweet time. Because the Lord, see, this is the thing. When the Lord deals with you on, a, on something, he, he does it gently. He says, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. He says, look, you're not under my yoke right now in this issue. And you go, oh, man, and you go, and he goes, here. He puts on, oh, it feels so good. It's so well-fitted for me. And I get under it, and he goes, hey, let's not, let's not do that anymore, okay? One of the things I forgot to mention last week about the yoke, there's always two oxen in the yoke, okay? So you get on one side, and guess who the ox is on the other side? It's Jesus. He's doing all the heavy lifting. <laughs> Our job is just to stay in right next to Jesus, having him point us the way. And so as the Lord began to deal with me on this thing, I began to get, just get free from that. I didn't even know I had a problem with it. That's, I mean, that, that was the scary part. Hey, Lord, yeah, you got a problem with this. He's showing me different things, different thoughts that came into my mind. You've got to get rid of those things. And so he released me from it. And now I'm free. We are in love.